All right, so we are in Psalms chapter 19, and I want you to notice in verse 16, this is a very well-known story. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, or, or, he said unto him, which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this is a passage we're all uh, very familiar with. And what I'm going to do in this message, right, I'm going to kind of set you up this morning. And I'm going to preach a very great truth that I think you all know, I think you all understand. Uh, we're going to be reminded of a lot of great truths that I think few in the Christian world um, would even disagree with. Uh, so you're probably not going to really learn much in the first part of the message, but you know, you'll be reminded of some things. Uh, that are, I think, are already well established in your hearts and minds. But then after we do that, I'm going to show you something that many would probably disagree with. And I'm going to show you how in probably one of the greatest passages that teaches the truth about this subject that we're going to look at first, we often go and take a great passage to illustrate a truth we all believe in, and we misuse that passage to beat people up for other things. And so, uh, so you know, go ahead and be a little skeptical while you're listening. I'm, I'm, gonna set, I'm trying to set you up a little bit, okay? So just being honest with you. But anyway, so what's the context of this passage here? We've got a rich man who wants to go to heaven. He wants to know what good thing he has to do because most people think you got to be good to go to heaven, right? So that's a pretty no normal question. You know, what good thing shall I do? And so Jesus tells him, he says, keep all the commandments, okay? Now, don't tell me what Jesus was thinking. Tell me what he said, okay? Because this is the Word of God right here. It doesn't tell us what Jesus was thinking. Now, we, we know what he was thinking, don't we? But at the same time, this, you tell me what he says. He said, if you're going to go into heaven, you've got to keep the commandments. That's what, that's what he told this man. And notice this man had done all this except he wasn't willing to give all of his riches to the poor and follow jesus now you and i we understand that that shows he hadn't even kept the first commandment of loving god with all your heart soul mind and strength he loved his possessions more okay so i get it we all know jesus was showing this man hey you're not as good as you think you are in fact why callest thou me good there is one good okay so I, we all know the truth because we look at the Bible as a whole. But what did he say right there in that passage? He said, keep the commandments, didn't he? And we often do that. We just find a passage. We'll find a phrase. Look what it says. And then we kind of misuse it and beat people up with it. In fact, some people will take this passage and say, well, that was still in the Old Testament dispensation. And this is proof you had to have good works. or you had to keep the commandments in order to be saved in the Old Testament. Wrong. That's wrong. Nobody ever got saved in the Old Testament by works. Nobody ever will get saved by works. It's never been done. It never could be done. So just get that out of your head right there. In fact, you know, technically speaking, 
if you kept all the commandments, you would go to heaven because you wouldn't be a sinner, right? But the thing is, now think about this. Okay, let's just use some common sense. If you keep all the commandments, you're not a sinner. So then why do you need to be saved? Therefore, salvation by keeping the commandments makes no sense. Because if you keep the commandments, you don't need salvation. But the fact is, everybody, including this man, has broken the commandments. Therefore, we all need salvation, 100% of us. So, uh, again, uh, boy, I get, I get aggravated. A lot of people teach this idea that people got saved by works in the Old Testament. That's absolutely wrong, 100%. So, um, so, but often what Jesus would do in order to reveal his holiness and to reveal the holiness of God and to reveal the sinfulness of man and their need for a savior Jesus would say things like he did to this man to illustrate the fact that you're not perfect. Okay? And he didn't do this in a way that I hate you, I'm mean to you. No, he did it in a way to reveal to them, you need me. That was why he did these things. He would say these things like that. These words, they were not spoken with malice in his heart. They were spoken hoping to get these people running into the arms of Jesus. When Jesus looked at this man, he loved him. The Bible says in one of the other accounts, he loved this man, but this man did not realize that he needed, he was dependent on Jesus in order to get to heaven because he was too lifted up with pride. He thought he was too good. He'd accomplished some things. He had done a lot of good things. So in his mind, I don't need a savior. So these statements that Jesus made in this passage where he's telling him, go sell all you have, go give to the poor. This is meant to show this man that he's broken the first and greatest commandment. That was why he did this. I think we all agree with that. So, and so this, uh, this idea of speaking things to uh, illustrate the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, this is this not something that started with Jesus. This was even done in the Old Testament. And turn over to Ezekiel chapter 16. In Ezekiel chapter 16, there's many illustrations of this in the Bible, but I think this is a really good one right here. And it says in verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Jerusalem was bad and didn't know it, but they were, what they were doing was an abomination. So he's saying, cause them to know it. Reveal to them just how bad they are. And say, thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, thy mother an Hittite. And, uh, and as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live yea i said unto thee when thou was in thy blood live this is kind of a gross picture imagine a baby as it's born if it was just born out in the open field somewhere and it's just cast aside it hasn't even been separated uh you know you know they haven't cut the umbilical cord like he's talking about here and it was just left out there open and bloody i mean what a horrible picture that is but you know what god said that's what you were when I came along. He said, I came along and I gave you life. And then here you are. And so what God was doing is God's showing a gross picture here to show them how bad they really were. We see God often compared them to a whore. That's not a good thing either. 
God would give some pretty extreme and graphic um, illustrations to describe Israel many times. He even had a prophet go around for, I think, three years naked with even his buttocks uncovered to just reveal to them their nakedness and their shame. Just as that man should be ashamed, you should be ashamed of yourself. So God would always do these things with Israel. But you know what was interesting is while Israel was all these things that God said, God still loved them. That was an amazing thing. And so why? And so God would say these extremely harsh things to them because it was reality and because they needed to see their need for a Savior. They needed to understand that. Even in the Old Testament, they needed to understand that need for a Savior. And so Matthew 5.27 we see Jesus said, and we all know how to interpret this passage. I think we would all agree across the board. It says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay, that's a hard saying. You know, there's a lot of people that could say, you know, I've never committed adultery, but not, not many people could say, I never lusted. I never, you know, not, not many people can say that. That's a pretty big deal right there. So, you know, we, and the thing is, we don't take that passage, do we? And just beat people up with it, do we? You know, we get people to confess that you've looked at a woman to lust and then just, you know, well, if an ultra get you thrown out of the church, doing it in your heart would too. You're out of here. Okay. You know, we wouldn't do that because if we started doing that, we wouldn't have too many people left in the church. Okay. At least when it comes to looking at a woman to lust, it would be all ladies in the church probably. And that would be, that would be it. And that's not going to work out. So, First uh, John 3.15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And it's like, I mean, really? A murderer? Hey, that's what God thinks about hating your brother. God hates that kind of thing. God hates sin. God hates all sin. God hates all sin. But we see that as much as God hates sin, God adores people, doesn't he? I mean, God greatly loves people. We see in Revelation 21, verse 8, we all use this when we're out soul winning. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters. And if it would have stopped right there and said they all have their part in the lake of fire, we'd all been like, yeah, that's where the bad people go. But then he says, and all liars too. And it's like, well, and, and we've all been busted there before. I mean, Kelly's already learning how to lie and manipulate. It's just like, you know, it, it just shows how sinful we are. None of us can claim that we've never lied before. And so we, when we look at that in verse 8, you know, do we go around with that verse and beat each other up with it? Or do we use it to just understand and illustrate the fact that we are dependent on Jesus Christ for salvation? That salvation can only be obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we've all lied before. Okay. Now, okay, you know, now, let's just go ahead and let's have confession time right now. All right. Lose the halos. How many have lied before? All right. Okay. Let's just, okay, we've all done it. Now, I don't, now listen, I don't despise you for that. I, I don't, I don't look at y'all and just like, man, what kind of congregation do I have here? I, I, I don't despise you for that. Now, let me, am I making light of sin? For the time you think lying is not that big of a deal. You think lying is okay. You know, I'm not doing that, but I'm sorry. I don't despise you for it. You know why? Because I get it. I, you know, I understand it. It's not okay. In fact, it's one of the reasons we sure do need Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons we sure do need 
the blood of Jesus Christ. It's one more thing, too, that reminds us eternal security is our only hope and salvation because, you know, we would all say, well, you know, the abominable, the idolater, the whoremonger, they would lose their salvation. But you know what? We don't want to say that about the liar because, uh, you know, then we're all going to lose our salvation, right? So this is just more, you know, to, you know this is more evidence. And, and we all use these things to comfort ourselves. But this is not me making a lot, uh, light of something that clearly is a sin. Because, you know, all, everyone's done it. I mean, some of you, you've probably told lies since attending our church. You know, you, we've all done things that are dishonest. And no one here despises anyone because we all get it. We all understand. This is not us declaring it no big deal. This is not us justifying it. That's not it. We're all thankful that the blood of Christ covers us. And we are all here today as people who, sin, who are sinners, but whose sins are not imputed unto them. We're people who love the Lord and we're doing the best that we can, but we all fall short and the blood of Christ, it covers us. And, and, and so we, we're still able to have fellowship with him. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we all understand this when it comes to things like lying, when it comes to committing adultery. Uh, you know, and in our hearts, we don't need an earthly priest to intercede or be involved in our reconciliation to God, do we? Okay. Do I, do I need to step in and get involved when it comes to you getting things right between you and God when it comes to your lies? All right, are we going to open up a confessional booth in this church? All right, I need you to tell me how many times you lied this week. What would you lie about? And then I'll let you know how to get right with God. Man, thank God we don't have that. You know, even for me as the pastor, I think, I think it would be worse for the guy who has to listen to that all the time. That that, that, that mess you up fast. But you know, we don't have to have that, do we? Folks, if you lie, I'm not going to be involved in that. You understand that I, you know, that that's between you and God. And there are many sins that are, in, that are in your life that if you do them, that's between you and God. It's not my place to get involved. I'm not worried about, I, I, I'm not making light of it. I'm going to preach against sin, but you know, we get it. We get all that when it comes to these things we see in you know, Hebrews four fifteen. for we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted as le- like, like as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we love that verse. That even though God, and we know God does not compromise on sin, we know how God feels about sin. We know that it was God that made created hell. We all understand that because God understands that's what is deserved. But yet Jesus Christ, He's still, He's understanding when we mess up. He doesn't look at us and just despise us for it and cast us out. In fact, he, he allows us to boldly come to him fully expecting mercy. And then you know what he does? He gives it to us. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing right there because he understands the blood and what it did and what it accomplished. So uh, there's no doubt Jesus is not a compromise when it comes to sin. He said he's so loving, he came and died and paid for our sins. It shows how loving he is, and it shows how serious he is about the penalty of sin, too, that it's like, no, it's got to be paid for. But thankfully, he paid for it himself. Thank, you know, thank God for that. But he did that so he could still have fellowship with the people who currently are still a sinful people, a people who mess up greatly all the time. Okay, so now having said all this, I think we agree with all this, you know, what should our attitude be towards others who 
you know, commit a sin. Okay? Because here's the, people who identify with different religions, one of the things that we're usually known for is being very harsh or looking down on specific sins. You know, there were, you know, there's certain religions that are just known for being really against something and kind of being, you know, and even accused of being mean people against that. You know, so we, and we should be against all sin. But, you know, when is it okay to start being a jerk and guilt tripping people, you know, holding people accountable, all that kind of stuff? Okay. Because obviously, I'm up here saying, hey, it's between them and God. It's none of your business. Stay out of it. Let's stay out of it. I'm staying out of it. But at the same time, too, we see places in the Bible where it tells us that we need to purge out the leaven, you know, where we need to deal with things. So, you know, how do we know when to get involved and when not to get involved? So turn to Ephesians chapter five. We'll look at a few passages here that I think make it very clear. But it says, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So right here we see several things that he said, don't even let that be once named among you. In 1 Corinthians 5.11 it says, but now I have written unto you, not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So again, there are some things where we do need to get involved and you know sometimes step in. And when I say be a jerk, I don't think you're literally being a jerk when a church does that, but we'll get accused of it. Okay, Just understand we will get accused of being a jerk if we you know deal with certain sins. But Notice how these sins are mainly serious sins that people do against others and not against God, okay? Because obviously, you know, again, and I was talking about this a little bit in Sunday school, you know, there are sins, sin is sin, all right? But if I do something and it only affects me, it's still a sin, but it's worse if I'm doing something that's affecting other people, Okay? And so that's when we have to step in because like as society, if somebody murders somebody, we can't just say, well, you know, that's between them and God. No, there are some things we need to intervene as a society and deal with. There are criminal matters and there are serious moral matters that if they go on in the church, we need to address those things. We need to deal with those things again. And all these things that's mentioning here, mainly what we're seeing mentioned here are things that you do to other people. And if you're out there hurting other people, you're violating other people, you're stealing, you're covetous, if you're doing all these things, as a church, we can't just sit by and allow that to happen. We can't just allow that to go on. God's not going to bless our church if we just turn a blind eye to things like that. We, there's no way we can do that. We see in 2, Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So, if somebody's doing something that's hurting our church, they're hurting other people, we do need to deal with that, but it should always be done in an attitude of love. We're trying to help and restore these people. Just like as a parent, when you punish your kid, you don't punish your kid out of 
hatred. You punish them out of love. You punish them because you're trying to correct something. You're, you're punishing them because you want there to be good fellowship. You want there to be harmony in the home. You want them to be happy. You don't want their life to be ruined. You do. You punish them out of love. That's what we do as parents and as a church. That's what we need to do. We need to punish people out of love. And if we do have to church discipline somebody, you know, we should do it with a tear in our eye. We should do it, you know, with great sorrow of heart and with a hopeful attitude that they will be restored. And I promise you, if we have to throw somebody out of the church because of some kind of sin and you're out there talking about them publicly on Facebook and stuff and calling them all kinds of names and I I guarantee you, we're probably not going to restore that person. At least they're not going to get restored to this church. If we're doing that, we don't want that to be our attitude at all because we're trying to get them back. So something very important that we need to get a hold of, because I'm not going to, I don't have time today to just kind of go through lists of sins and show you the differences and all these things. Cause I think, I think most of this, if we actually would stop and think we could figure it out just if we have a little discernment and the Holy spirit, but here's something very important. We need to understand that we need to get a hold of. Okay. Now turn over to Proverbs chapter six. Okay. This is very important that we understand this concept about sin. Okay, because I titled this message, If Thou Wilt Be Perfect. Okay, if thou wilt be perfect. What, I mean, what does that mean? Are we really expected to be perfect? You know, does G, did, did Jesus really expect that from this guy? I mean, do we really expect that from other people? Because folks, listen, if you're not perfect, you know what it means? You're, you're a sinner. It means you've messed up somewhere. It means, you know, you're, I mean, do we have that perfect person in here? I, I, I don't think we do. Okay. But so notice this though. It says in Proverbs 6.30, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. Now, Folks, let me ask you, is stealing a sin? Of course it's a sin. Okay? It's, all, it's always a sin. But notice how he says here, don't despise a man if he's stealing because he's hungry. Okay? It's still a sin. But are we going to look at the guy who steals because he's hungry the same way as the guy, let's say, who steals to, so he can go buy some alcohol? Or to feed his drug habit. I mean, isn't that worse? Okay, I mean, if, if, if there's a guy out there and he steals because he's trying to feed his kids, you shouldn't steal. But you're going to have a tough time being real mad at that person. But if somebody goes and they steal your wallet and then you, they go and they buy lottery tickets or a beer or something like that, you're going to be a little more upset with them, aren't you? Or drugs or something like that. But here's the thing too. All right? It could be even worse. Because you all understand that drugs can have it be a very powerful strong stronghold on somebody. Some people are very addicted to alcohol and they get very desperate. So did you know that you could probably even be okay if you don't really despise that guy either? You know, they they were desperate. They, these things have got control of them. You know, we can be a little merciful on something like that. And so there's even a difference between them, you know, versus somebody who's stealing for the thrill. Because you have people that do that too. You know, they, they don't need these things, but they'll go shoplifting just so they can brag to their buddies. Hey, look what I stole folks. And, and that, like that petty theft too, like that, that stuff is what really makes me mad. I do despise those people, you know, 
the guy who stole our catalytic converter off our van. But you know what? Maybe he was doing it to feed his family. You know, maybe he had a really bad drug habit or something. But you know what? Maybe, maybe he wanted to go just get some gambling money to go to the casino or something. I don't know. You know, I, I, I really don't know. But either way, sin is sin, isn't it? But right here, it's telling us, you know what? Don't have those bad feelings for somebody. You know, we, we could understand that, okay? If you got hungry enough, if you got desperate enough, you just might do something like that that you shouldn't do. So do we really want to just beat this guy? You know, he still should have to repay. You know, even if it costs him everything in his house because he stole, he did wrong, but we're not going to despise this. And so there is, there, there's a difference in these situations. And so something that we've got to realize is often what Christians do whenever it comes to uh, sins that are in people's lives that are in fact sins, we get really ugly towards people when we probably shouldn't. You know, and, and, and here's the thing about it too. When it comes to certain sins, sometimes people, they will even use passages that are meant, like, like the ones we were looking at at the beginning, that are meant to just reveal to us that we're sinful. And they use those to beat people over the head with. They use those verses as like their excuse to just despise somebody and condemn somebody. Okay, so now let's go back to Matthew chapter 19. Okay, let's go back to Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to show you that basically, you know, proof that how we even inter- how we interpreted verses 16 through 20 uh, through 24 is correct. So verse one says, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, came to the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Okay? And understand, while there was a provision for divorce in the law, it wasn't one that was permitted for every cause. Okay? So these guys are trying to trip Jesus up with this question. And it's almost as if they know there's something wrong with this thing, divorce, even though Moses gave a bill of divorce. It's almost like they knew something was wrong with it. And so it's like Jesus can't win in their mind because if he says, know what, all divorce is bad, well, now he's going against the law. But then, you know, if he's just like, well, it's in the law, you know what, you don't like your wife, get rid of her, you know, then everybody knows they can use it to show he's not really righteous. And, and Jesus, he never, he would never be trapped by these things. He has way too much wisdom. But notice what he said in verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that which he made them at the beginning, made them male and female? Instead, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh, which therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. Now, why did Jesus bring this up? Because did you know that this passage right here that Jesus just quoted, it's not a command, it's just telling us what happened. I mean, that's just what God did in the Bible. That's what God made man and woman. And they became one flesh, okay? But you know what? Jesus here, he's trying to help them understand this concept of what we call, you know, the spirit of the law. You know, you've got the letter of the law and you've got the spirit of the law. And it's like, you know, you have people too that are just so wicked that it's like you, if you don't get super specific on the law, then they act like it doesn't apply to them. You know, and it's like, we shouldn't have to get that specific. You should get the point of this law here. Okay. You know what? Love your neighbor 
should be enough. We shouldn't have to tell you not to kill them too and not to steal from them too. But you know what? You have to. Laws are added because of transgressions. So, but the thing is, you shouldn't have to do that. Love God and love thy neighbor. We, only, we should have only needed two commandments. But, you know, God gave ten because man is just kind of hard-headed sometimes. So, um, Jesus is trying to help him understand this concept. And so, he says in verse 7, They say unto him, because it's very clear from Jesus' answer that he doesn't like this. You know, that he, he doesn't like divorce because he says what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. So, verse 7 says, They say unto him, why did then Moses command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So there, we, here's another thing you got to understand. There's a difference between something where God grants permission and something that is God's will. Y'all understand that? There are things you know that God often did in the Bible where he did. He allowed something to happen but it wasn't necessarily what he wanted. Okay? And it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily something that was good. And I think that's a good example of that. And he said, you know, Moses suffered it because of the hardness of your hearts. But this isn't something God wanted. So verse uh, 9, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Okay? Now, this was a hard saying. Okay? But you know what? It was the truth, wasn't it? In fact, it was the truth, just like all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, wasn't it? It was true just like that. And when Jesus made this statement to them that this is the only time it's appropriate without it being adultery, his disciples said to him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. It's just like, and apparently... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how things were in the culture back then, but they, these guys were like, man, I'd just rather not get married because they were so hardcore about not breaking that law of adultery. They were so hardcore about that that they would just rather never marry than to take a chance at that. But the thing is, these guys missed the whole point. They missed the whole spirit of, of the law. They obviously didn't even understand what marriage is all about. It's just like, really? I mean, are you that anxious to get rid of your wife? You know, I mean, is that what you think marriage is? Something that you need to have an easy way to get out of? Is, is that is that what it is to you people? So it's like the, there's a lot of things they didn't get here. But two, you know, and Jesus is going to go on. and he, he That's why, too, when it talks about you look at a woman of lust, you commit adultery in your heart. You think you're all good because you haven't violated this one command, but you're just missing the point. You're missing the spirit of this whole thing. Okay, And Jesus using this, to reveal to them how sinful that they were and that they needed a Savior. And so it said in verse 11, uh, But he said unto them, All men cannot receive the saying, save they to whom it is given. Hey, you know, there are some things that, you know what, I can't do it, all right? Tell me, go, you know, go your whole life without sin. I can't do it, okay? Is that me making light of sin? I'll admit I can't do it, right? And you know, and there are some sins that I think I can succeed in not doing. You know, I, I could definitely, you know, there are some things that are bad that I've never done before. Y'all understand that? We all have things like that. We've all got something that we've never done before. 
And you know what? Those things happen to be really high on our priority list of things that nobody should ever do if they're going to be a good Christian. You know, but we've also got other things that, you know, we'd rather not talk about. You know, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, I think I can keep this law about divorce, you know, because thankfully I married right, you know, and I have a good wife. I, 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 think, I think I'm going to do this one. I, 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 you know, I've got 20 years under my belt so far. You know, I, I think I can do this. Okay? I'm planning on doing this. So it's like, you know, I, when I look at this passage right here, I'm not looking at, I, I don't look at it and say, man, I should have never got married. Okay, if I were to say that, it just shows, you know, I've been looking for the escape hatch. There's something wrong with my marriage. And obviously, marriages were not very good back then. We see in the Old Testament, they were always marrying multiple wives and things. Folks, marriage stunk back then. And it really wasn't until the New Testament, we see these things, things emphasized about two being one flesh, with therefore God joined together, let not man put asunder, about being the husband of one wife. These things were all emphasized in the New Testament, which I think has made marriage a much better thing in the world. I think marriages today are better than they were back then. And you got a lot of guys out there today that they're, you know, you got like the MGTOW crowd that they want the laws to go like it was back in the Old Testament, not because they love the law of God, but because they know they can't keep a wife unless the law forces her to stay with them. That's why, that's why they have that attitude. And, you know, and I've preached about that before. You know, thank God if we have the law there as a safety net, but we shouldn't need the safety net. You know, I, I'm glad my wife isn't staying with me just because the law demands it and she will get put to death if she leaves me. All right. You know, you said it'd be a good law, but it wouldn't. I don't think it would help my marriage out. You know, and you know, maybe it helps some marriages out, but I don't think it would help mine out. I think it's better. But so, um, you know, so I think when we look at this passage, we do need to take into consideration that time how things were then. There are some differences now, so it might, some of this might be a little foreign to us, but I think it was very applicable back then in that situation. And so in verse 12, because after he says, all men cannot receive the same, because it's like, okay, well, if that means if my wife leaves me, I'm stuck. I can never get married again. I got to be basically a eunuch for the rest of my life. And so Jesus said, but there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. You know, there are some that have just made that choice. And then he, Jesus said, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Okay. Not everybody can receive that, but, but some can. Okay. Again, there are some sins that I think I, I, will, I will never commit. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, I've got 40 years not drinking alcohol. Okay. So I, you know, let's talk about that one for a while since I got that one down. All right. You know. I, I, I think I, I think I'm going to keep, I keep that going for the rest of my life. I think I can do that. I think I can receive that. And but you know there are there are some things though I probably can't receive. There are some things I'm probably not going to make it on. And so when it comes to things like divorce and when it comes to remarriage, you know God is God's never looking at those things and pleased with it. Just like God is never pleased when you lie. God is never pleased by any sin that you do. But you know what? Divorce is not something that one cannot run to the arms of Jesus and get cleansing and forgiveness from. And I think we forget that sometimes. In fact, literally what people often do, they go to this passage here in Matthew 19 where Jesus is illustrating to these people their, their need for a Savior, their dependence on a Savior, 
their dependence on forgiveness because nobody can do this stuff. And then we use these passages to just beat people up for mistakes they've made in their past. I don't think that was the intent of this passage, but that's exactly how we use it. It's not us making light of sin. It's not us just, you know, acting like divorce is no big deal. Obviously, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, obviously, it's a serious thing. But yet people will use this passage to beat people up. But let's keep reading here. Notice in verse 13. It says, Then there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And notice, we haven't changed subjects here. Okay? What is happening in the story is you have children. This is, this is mainly what's being illustrated by the story being in here. We have children who are coming to Jesus and the disciples don't pay attention to them. But then also you have a rich young ruler coming to Jesus. And by all means, let's bring him before Jesus. We got a rich young ruler, but the kids, let's forget, you know, you guys don't, you guys leave Jesus alone. That's what we have going on here. That's why this is, that's why this is brought up. And so, because here's the thing, Jesus wanted to receive both, didn't he? Jesus wanted to receive those children and Jesus also wanted to receive the rich young ruler. Okay. The disciples, they put an emphasis on the rich young ruler and they offended the children by rejecting them. Jesus wanted both. All right. But guess what? Guess who accepted Jesus? It was the children and not the rich young ruler. But yet Jesus wanted both. Jesus wanted both in that situation. And so in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 20, off, uh, for, um, uh, yeah, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter we see the same thing. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's preaching the exact same message here to reveal to people their need for a Savior. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would he say something like that? Is he saying that so they will be like the scribes and Pharisees? No. He said that because everybody saw them as these just holy people that were better than everybody else. Jesus said, you've got to beat them if you're going to even enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall be killed shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever will say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever will say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then thou shalt come and offer thy gift. Oh, we just thought it was a big deal if we, you know, you just killed somebody. Jesus said it's a big deal if you got a problem with your brother. Don't even bring your gifts to me. If you got a problem with your brother, I guess I'm not as righteous as I thought I was. Isn't that what we're supposed to do with this passage? Isn't that not the purpose? He says, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say to thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You're better off taking care of problems with your brothers yourself, and do it quickly. And it's important. He said, ye have heard of them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looked upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I mean, come on. 
I thought I was good because I never committed adultery. But then Jesus, now he throws this at us. And then he uh, says, uh, uh, verse 30, If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, hath commi- uh, caused her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And there we go. When it, when it comes to having a problem with your brother, you know, Jesus used that. We look at that and be like, I need a Savior. Because I can't do that. When it comes to looking at a woman to lust, I need a Savior. I can't do that. When it comes to the divorce, all of a sudden, I can do that. Shame on the rest of you that have a problem in this area. It's the same passage. He's illustrating the same thing. So, why do we act this way about it? You know, because, again, do you know why? Again, the reason marriages are better today is because of what we have learned from the New Testament. It wasn't like that back then. Marriages stunk back then. We've actually got something better. Now, in fact, I think, you, ha- in my opinion, okay, and don't think I'm bashing anything in the law of God. I, I love the law of God. I think it's perfect. I think it's great. I think death penalty for all that stuff is wonderful, all right? But I do think it sets you up to potentially have a better marriage when you don't have to, when you're not forced to stay married by gunpoint, literally. I think it, I, I, when you have that knowledge, they're there because they love me. When it, we live in a world where they could just leave at any time, you know, it kind of makes us not take those things for granted. Like, I better be a good husband. I better be a good wife. And so the, the truth is, I don't need the law to have, and when I say the law, I mean like the outside world. I don't need them to have a good marriage. You know why? Because I've got the Word of God, and in the Spirit, I'm doing the best that I can. And so, you know, we do, we, I think we take these things for granted because we've been pretty successful. And marriage, and you know, and, and I say that the numbers still aren't that good even in church. But there are a lot of wonderful examples. We do have many, many success stories, and all the success stories we have when it comes to marriage, it is 100% because of the things that are revealed in the Word of God, because of the things that we've been taught. I have the marriage that I have today, not because of anything special about me. It's because of what I've been taught, how I was raised. And how my wife was raised, the things that she was taught, we have benefited greatly from these things. But we've got to understand, our world is very much like it was back then, if not worse. And the people that we're trying to reach out there, they haven't, they don't have these things. And yet, often, people are made to feel like second and third class citizens in churches because they've got divorces and things under their belt, and they've got you know children from different relationships and things. And nobody's, nobody's making light of these things. Nobody is looking at those things and be like, God doesn't care. You know, no big deal. Nobody's doing that. I'm just saying, you know what? People, we ought, to, we ought to chill out when it comes to these things and use those, at least use these verses the way God did to just show us that we are all hopeless people in need of a Savior and stop going to these verses and using them as, as a bat to beat people over the head with like we've done it. Until you get the rest of Matthew chapter 5 down to where you no longer lust, you no longer have problems with anybody anymore, you know, then 
go beat people up by, with that by all means. But until then, you know, I think I think we should leave it alone. So if we're gonna uh, if we're gonna do this, then we need to treat people like outcasts who get angry for no good reason. You know, for anyone who lusts after another woman, you know, these things were said by Christ to cause self-righteous people to run to Him. It was not to get self-righteous people to beat people up. That's not why these verses are there. And for some reason, when it comes to this issue of divorce, Christians have decided this is something that we're capable of being pure in. And if avoiding this one sin makes you special, you know, I, I don't know. Because you know, you know, we, we forgive fornicators with the same attitude in this area. I mean, really, what's worse? The guy who, you know, stayed pure, got married, things fell apart, got divorced, or the guy who never got married, but he has, you know, kids with multiple women out there. I mean, do we really want that guy beating up the one guy that just, you know, got, at the end of the day, it's, you know, these things were all sin, but you know what? We're not going to beat people up in the church about it because again, these are things that it's, it's done. It's over. We need to be forgiving. And there, there is, there's a, and there's a difference too between someone who's in leadership here on this earth, because the Bible is very specific and there are earthly challenges that come. You know, it, I, I mean, one of the reasons divorce is bad is because there are challenges that you're going to have to deal with on this earth that, um, you know, are going to make things difficult for you. And so when reading the Bible, we just need to understand it. Often why these things are there, it's meant to reveal the true condition of, of every one of us. And so there's a difference between those passages about civil matters and how to preserve a civilized society, a passage about how to keep a church pure, and just one, and then ones that are just about revealing, you know, our condition and our need for a savior. And we need to learn to distinguish those things. And um, I think if we'll do that, you know, I think we'll all be better Christians as a result of it, and I think we will all be at peace. You know, it's a great burden you can let off yourself of just being the spiritual police of the world and of the church. Your life will be so much better if you all of a sudden just realize, you know what? To his own master, he standeth or falls. You know, I, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to keep things good between me and God. And if we do that, we will all be happier people. I promise you that. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, book that we have. I thank you. Lord, for, for even these hard truths that are in there, Lord. And I, I pray nobody took this the wrong way. Uh, Lord, sin is so serious. You had to die on the cross for every single one of them. I pray we will never make light of sin. But I pray that as we read these passages, that we will get the message that you intended. And it will cause us, Lord, to understand just how sinful we are and cause us to just run to you for mercy. And we thank you uh, that we know that you will offer that mercy and you will uh, not cast us out. In your name we pray. Amen.